Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I can't wait to spend these next couple of hours together with you. And I've got my Bible open already to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. If you don't know that, you should learn it. It's a great memory verse. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus is all we need, especially in times like this. It's always good to uh, realize that we belong to him and he lives in us and that we are now being, uh, we are now serving him and we can look for ways to uh, bring glory to his name every day, which is what we should be doing uh, regardless of what's going on in the world. But despite life circumstances, I hope you're having a good day and I hope you've got joy in your heart because you can if you know the Lord. So Today's going to be a great day. Rob Blue is going to be joining me in just a couple of minutes and uh, looking forward to hearing what's going on at the Heritage Foundation. There's a big chunk of good news coming out of there. We're going to learn all about it. Take a short break. Be right back with Rob. Over 250 times in Scripture, we're called to remember. And what should we call to mind? Well, here's how Jeremiah put it. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every day on Faith Radio, through the teaching of God's Word and the faith-filled conversations, we're reminded of who God is and His great love for us. In the midst of bad news, Faith Radio brings good news, and it's thanks to committed friends who give to support this growing media platform. To those of you who give, know that your investment truly makes a difference as more and more people tune in looking for hope and comfort in an unsettled season. Now, because Faith Radio is a listener-supported ministry, we rely on your generosity. And we'll have an opportunity to talk more about generosity in a time of scarcity, faith in the midst of fear, and bringing hope to a hurting world coming April 14th. Thank you for standing with us. Welcome to the show. Always glad on Tuesdays to get things started with Rob Bluey, executive editor of The Daily Signal, working from his home office today. Rob, welcome. Hey, it's good to be back, Bill. Yes, back at home. <laughs> Staying here. Uh, back at under, home. You never under. went anywhere. That's right. <laughs> Not going far, that's for sure. Walks around the neighborhood, yeah. that's all. But great things going on at the Heritage Foundation. I'm very excited to hear about this new initiative. Please tell us all about it. Absolutely. Well, our president, uh, Kay James, is uh, going to be serving as the chairman of a new National Coronavirus Recovery Commission. Uh, Kay uh, is somebody who brings a lot of experience, having served as the Secretary of Health in Virginia and also as Director of the Office of Personnel Management uh, in, uh, during 9-11. So she's, uh, she's seen crisis uh, before, and uh, this is one that's certainly unprecedented. But what we wanted to do with this commission is assemble 
assemble a group of talented people from uh, public health communities, small businesses, big businesses, uh, people who have experience in the past in all layers of government. And, uh, and that's what we've done. And so the idea behind it is let's start to think about what the next steps are when we're ready uh, to go back and, and make life normal again. It's, uh, it's certainly uh, a tough conversation to have, particularly in the midst of this being, uh, this being a, a, a quite tragic week. A, a, lot, of, uh, a lot of deaths uh, certainly expected all across the country from the coronavirus. Uh, but we want to be prepared uh, not only to look at the situation at hand, but also what steps look like. Uh, there's already been some talk from the president and others about returning people back to work, and I think that uh, you know, that needs to be done carefully so we don't experience a, a second wave of this uh, down the road. Mm-hmm. I love what uh, Kay said. Saving lives and saving livelihoods are part of the same road to recovery that we need to pursue today. A physically healthy America is an economically strong America, so we need to think of them in concert rather than as competing priorities. That's right, exactly, and and this is so true. I mean, there there are so many things, of course, that uh, that we we want to take into account and factor in. For instance, if we if we have prolonged stay-at-home orders and people aren't able to go to work and 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 unemployment continues to increase, there will be other health consequences beyond coronavirus that starts to impact people's lives. I think in some cases that that already has. Uh, for instance, you know, there are local businesses here in our community, as I'm sure there are in yours, that have had to lay off or furlough workers. Uh, that means they're either without health insurance or they're, they're without a steady paycheck, and they're looking for, for other sources of support. Uh, we have to go back to work in a responsible way. We can't rush it. Uh, but uh, there are some who pose this choice of, you know, it's one or the other. And when we think that there needs to be a proper balance, and some of it might be done regionally, uh, some of it might be done by those people who now have immunity uh, as a result of either having the virus or they, you know, for, for whatever reason, test, uh, test positive. Those tests are in the works and being developed right now. Uh, frankly, we also think that the government doesn't have all the solutions, Bill. That's probably not a surprise coming from me. But uh, as Washington looks now for a phase four package, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing things like keeping employees tethered to their employers as being a lot more uh, – a lot better for our economy and are a lot better for those individuals than having everybody go on unemployment insurance and then having to try to find start over from scratch uh, down the road. So there's a lot of work to be done on this. Uh, we're going to have a number of, uh, of, of high-profile commissioners, a former governor, uh, George Allen, uh, former Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist, uh, former member of Congress J.C. Watts, as well as uh, Dr. Richard Tubb, who is the longest-serving White House physician. Uh, of course, uh, Dr. Frist is also from the medical profession. We're going to have Kevin Chaffetz, who's uh, a, a local councilman. So uh, we want to make sure that we're incorporating all sorts of ideas. And I'd encourage your listeners, they can go to coronaviruscommission.com and, and leave us their own suggestion on ideas. We want to make this open to the American people. There will be a public hearing where we take, uh, take public feedback. So, uh, so let's, let's figure out how to do this, uh, do this well. And as the government's fighting the virus, let's start thinking about uh, how we recover from it. Yeah, I love the quote that you put in, too, Rob, that said Americans are confronting one of the greatest challenges of their lifetime, and they are seeking answers for how we navigate through the crisis and toward recovery. I know we're all thinking that, uh, despite the suffering that we're watching every day. 
That's right, Bill. I mean, it, it is it is truly um, terrifying to think about the lives that have, have been damaged by this and the people who are currently suffering, and our prayers certainly go out to them. Uh, we, we need to do everything we can right now to make sure that they have the resources. And, and I think it's tremendous the way that we've seen uh, my colleague Jared Stedman, who I know has been a guest on your show, uh, we, we, we've seen how private uh, the private sector has stepped up to really help uh, those in need uh, by either, um, you know, changing their lines of productions to, production to make sure that they're producing more ventilators or, or more of the N95 masks. Uh, whatever uh, has, has been needed, uh, they've really done a great job of doing that. So, you know, we're going to continue to keep a focus on that. I don't, I don't want your listeners to think that we're, t- we're taking our eye off of defeating uh, this coronavirus, but at the same time, we, we want to make sure uh, that, that there is that proper balance and that we do take into account what comes next. And look, the president has said at uh, the end of April, um, I, I'm not sure if we'll, we'll get there. Uh, Virginia's governor has said June 10th. So you have all sorts of different dates being floated out there. The one thing that we've heard from people is they would like some certainty. They would like to know, you know, how long is this going to be? And uh, we've already seen some other countries uh, like China go, go back. And uh, there are some consequences to that bill. We don't want to have the second wave, as I talked about earlier. But uh, I think we can do so in a responsible manner. Rob, as I've been watching some reports and I've seen some video clips, there was one of Dr. Anthony Fauci on, I think it was January 21st, uh, basically saying, you know, this is something that we have to take seriously, but it's not going to be a big concern for the United States. And then, That's right. And then Feb- yeah. February 1st, uh, the Surgeon General Adams, you know, made kind of a, a little bit of a, a, of a poem up, you know, roses are red, violets are blue. Uh, your risk for coronavirus is low, but not for the flu. So go get your flu shot. Now, he has regretted that. But, I mean, look at the information that we were getting from the top infectious disease doctor and the Surgeon General. That's right. Uh, and, and Bill, that's a big story today here in Washington because the, Peter Navarro, who's the, the uh, in charge of trade for the White House, was warning in late January and again in February of the consequences. In fact, it was apparently Navarro's recommendation to close down travel to China that the president eventually accepted. So you certainly do have a situation where, where it seems, uh, you know, there, there either was conflicting advice or, you know, there was a situation in the White House. House where, um, where where they believe that uh, it would not impact the United States the way that it has. Uh, I, you know, one of the things that makes the United States different from some of these other countries is that we are we, we are a people that love our freedom, and I think that's why even the Surgeon General recently has said, you know, 90% of the country might be in compliance, but even at that 10%, even if they're asymptomatic, they could be spreading the virus to people unknowingly. And so that's why it's so difficult, I think, for, for a society like ours, unlike China, where basically you're locked in your apartment and you can't go outside. Uh, you know, I reference, I mean, we're still getting our exercise and, and taking walks. Uh, certainly, I hope people are limiting their, their trips to, to, uh, to the store um, and, and really just reserving it for, for those things they absolutely need. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things, Bill, that, uh, you know, we always can look back in hindsight and, and wish that we had made decisions differently and uh, and our government leaders had maybe given us a little bit more advanced notice. Yeah. I have to say, Rob, that Dr. Anthony Fauci, I, <laughs> I see him on the news at night and I think uh, he's 79 years old. And I, I, I think, boy, I hope I look that good when I'm his age, but I don't look that good now. <laughs> well, I, I hear that 
Dr. Fauci, you know, runs three miles every day. And, and as a runner myself, you know, I was encouraged to hear that. <laughs> Maybe I'm doing something right. But, uh, yeah, he is certainly somebody who has – uh, I think, earn the trust of people, regardless of your political views. And the fact that he does stand next to President Trump, I think you have people who who respect him and uh, and, and have even come to admire him for, uh, for what he's been able to do. And so uh, you need people like that, particularly in a time when we still are divided. I mean, it's not long ago where this president was just impeached by the Democrat-controlled House and uh, acquitted by the Republican-controlled Senate. So uh, that's a that's a you know a short time ago, and I think people still have their their dislike for President Trump uh, for for other reasons. But I do appreciate the fact that we're having daily press briefings. It's, it's been something that we've said at the Daily Signal. We're going to continue to carry them, uh, despite the fact that some other media outlets have chosen not to do that. Uh, we think it's important to get the hand, the information into the hands of the American people. And these are long briefings. I mean, these run all over an hour, and in some cases they're two hours. So uh, there's a lot of information being shared. And I think the American people probably appreciate uh, getting that update directly from the president and his top advisors like Dr. Fauci. Yeah, I agree. All right. I want to uh, talk some more about the coronavirus commission.com, but I'll do that after the break. Rob Bluey is my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. We'll take a short break and be right back with Rob. to the show. Rob Bluey is my guest. He's the executive editor of The Daily Signal. And we're talking about a new initiative put up at the Heritage Foundation. They are form, uh, they're in the process of putting together this website. Is it up and running right now, Rob? The- it is. So the commission's first meeting is actually taking place on Thursday. Okay. Uh, your listeners can find more information at coronaviruscommission.com. Uh, they can see the full list of commissioners. Uh, I, I mentioned a few of them, and uh, they can also uh, submit their own ideas. There's a there's a, a place to to contact the commission and submit uh, recommendations or suggestions about how how and when uh, they think America can can return to normal. So we'd love to hear from uh, the American people on this. I think it would be tremendous. Uh, the first commission meeting, as I said, will take place this Thursday. That'll be an opportunity for the commissioners to uh, begin sharing their own ideas and. Uh, uh, and, of course, kind of establish the uh, the ground rules and procedures for going forward. Uh, Kay James, who is uh, the Heritage Foundation's president, is going to be chairing the commission. She's had uh, a lot of experience uh, in, in commissions in the past being appointed by U.S. presidents. And I think one of the things that, uh, that we're hoping, Bill, is not only will we have uh, be, be taking into account the ideas of the American people, but we'll also be able to help shape uh, the policy coming out of the White House and Congress. Uh, president Trump has talked about setting up his own economic task force, uh, kind of be a second task force uh, beyond the one that's currently uh, at the press briefings every day. And uh, you're seeing uh, calls for 9-11-style commissions uh, in in the U.S. Congress, including one that Speaker Pelosi set up last week. So uh, we know government doesn't move uh, all that quickly, however, uh, when it comes to some of these things. So we want to be really uh, in a position by uh, the end of this month to start rolling out some ideas and then have a final report in their hands by June. I love some of the names on the on the list 
there is Samuel, Reverend Samuel Rodriguez and uh, Johnny Erickson Tata and J.C. Watts and just some people that I've had on the show that I get kind of excited about them being on the commission as well. Well, and we thought it was really important to have a diverse mix of, of people on the commission, uh, in particular have, have those from the faith community as well. Uh, we really think it's going to be important uh, to take into account the role that civil society plays here. Not every solution needs to come from government. I know that that's been the focus primarily because we've talked about the CARES Act and what Congress has done and the fact that government is providing support and assistance for those businesses and, uh, and the direct payments to, to Americans. Uh, but there are roles, there is a role here for civil society, and I think we've already seen it. Uh, certainly, I think Faith Radio is playing an important role right now in terms of giving people hope and inspiration. So I, I applaud you for continuing to do that. But I also think that, you know, uh, our, our faith-based institutions, uh, whether they're doing morning prayer or uh, particularly on this Holy Week, uh, bringing people together, I, I can tell you that my own, uh, my own church, uh, Bill, has teamed up with five other local churches in the, the northern Virginia area, and every week we've seen more and more people tune in to the mm. Sunday service on Zoom, and, uh, and I think that we, we are, are, you know, people that I would have never interacted with or, or other, um, other priests that I would have never seen, other rectors, uh, you know, they're now a, a part, of, part of our life because Fantastic. of this. So it's really, it's really encouraging to see people, uh, tr- you know, embrace technology and look for ways to, to continue to, to worship and celebrate, celebrate uh, Jesus, uh, particularly, uh, like I say, on this Holy Week. Yeah, fantastic, Rob. I love, I love, love hearing that, and I'm also praying that there's lots of revival, that there are people that are realizing they are not in control and that their life will end one day, and uh, what they do about their, their eternal destiny is uh, important to be thinking about, like right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So have you heard any update on the uh, prime minister? Well, you know, uh, to be honest with you, nothing, uh, I don't have any inside knowledge based on what I'm sure that you and your listeners know. So, I mean, still in in the hospital, I think it, I think this situation, though, demonstrates, uh, you know, particularly what what, what the risks are uh, for those, um, even in leadership positions. I know there's been a lot of talk in the wake of what's happened to to Boris Johnson about whether or not President Trump and Vice President Pence uh, should really be together, uh, or should they keep their own social distance uh, to, uh, to avoid the potential that they mo- might both uh, be, uh, be in the situation. Of course, President Trump in his 70s uh, would be in a high-risk category. Sure. So, um, yeah, it is, it is uh, quite alarming. Um, and, uh, you know, this is something that we're, we're praying for, for Boris Johnson and, and to pull through this. Uh, it, is, uh, it is quite scary when, when somebody like a, a national leader falls ill. And, Rob, what do you think about uh, the Wisconsin election today? Interesting uh, to see on again, off again, uh, the governor and the legislature and now the Supreme Court in Wisconsin all uh, weighing in. Uh, You know, uh, we had our own election in Virginia in the midst of the coronavirus. I mean, we were not sheltering in place at that point in time, but it was certainly something that we were all quite aware of. I remember going to vote. And, uh, and and thinking, okay, I'm touching a pen, and I'm you know I'm, right. I'm opening a door here, and right. I'm exposing myself. Uh, so you know, it was something that was certainly on my mind at the time. In uh, in in, I guess it would have been mid February. Uh, and so you know, Bill, I, I think as long as people exercise uh, the guidelines, you know, it's it's okay. 
I think, though, a lot of states have probably preferred to just avoid that risk, and that's why you've seen so many other states decide uh, to postpone them until later. I think the real question is going to be, you know, it's one thing to do this for a primary election. Uh, we really need to be in a position in November where, where the American people are confident that they can vote. Uh, I think that that is, is something that's critical, and so I hope that our policymakers are also thinking about, you know, how to make sure that that happens in a safe way. Uh, you saw some of the long lines that existed on Super Tuesday for mm -hmm. the Democratic primary, and uh, people certainly were not social distancing back then. So we uh, we need to make sure that uh, we're in a situation where we can do so effectively without resorting to some ideas that I think the left often likes to champion, like mail-in voting, which you know are just opportunities uh, for people to to cheat and uh, and for fraud to be uh, for, for fraud to take place. Yeah, and then what about the conventions, the Republican and Democratic conventions? Do you think they're gonna well, it's not, it's not looking great. Uh, I, I actually visited Charlotte uh, in in early February to um, to talk about you know the the presence of the Daily Signal at the convention. We we of course had a strong presence um, at, at uh, in 2016, and so um, I haven't been to to Milwaukee uh, lately. But I mean, it seems that the Democrats are are much more willing and flexible to move things to a virtual convention if necessary. The Re Republican convention seems like they're set on continuing. Although I do find it, uh, I do think a lot of the activities that go around the convention uh, might not take place as normal. I think you're going to see a, a, a lot less socializing, a, lo a lot less partying probably. People might go to the convention, do their business of, of officially nominating the candidate, and uh, and then go home. Um, but you know what? We're a long way from there, and things could certainly change dramatically. So I'm, I'm glad to see they're not pulling the plug yet. But uh, but kind of, you know, just like a, a lot of our, our sports leagues, uh, trying to figure this out day by day. Yeah. And how are your parents doing? Uh, parents are doing fine, you know. They're uh, they're in upstate New York, so uh, they have New upstate New York has not faced the the brunt of cases that the city has. But uh, you know, they um, you know we we check in with them frequently, as do uh, my wife's parents, and uh, I think that. Uh, you know, even though it's difficult to only connect remotely over over FaceTime, uh, you know, it's one of those things that it, it's it's allowed us an opportunity to bond a little bit more closely, and and for them to see the grandkids uh, is certainly a treat. Yeah, but they're not seeing the grandkids the way they want to be seeing the grandkids. Uh, that's true. <laughs> that is a good point. I mean, there there's no hugs and kisses, just <laughs> blowing kisses through through the screen. That's for sure. Yeah, and are they getting out and going to the store? Or are they getting help? Uh, groceries delivered, or what are they doing? My father is is the one going out, and uh, and yeah, they're taking precautions like everybody sure. else. Bill, I'll tell you, you know, the first couple of weeks I was going to the grocery store, and uh, this last uh, last week when I went, um, you know, I, I decided to wear the mask myself. I okay. just figured it. You know, I would say that there were every week it's increased a little bit more. Okay. Um, I um, you know I know my dad is 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 wearing a, a cloth mask as well. And uh, and we had a colleague who, um, who who you know checks on security in the office. And when he was in today, you know, he said he was wearing a cloth mask just to be safe. Yeah. Uh, you know, you you don't know who you're going to come in contact with, and when somebody might have a sudden urge to sneeze. So you don't want to be around somebody in a situation like that. But that's why I think it's most important for us to to keep those trips limited. Um, if you can, and one of the doctors who Kevin Pham, who's written for the Daily Signal, has said, you know, people who would often go to the grocery store maybe two or three times a week, uh, limit it to, to once a week or maybe even once every two weeks if yeah. you're able to stock up on, on, on the food. Yeah. Rob, thanks again for doing the show. 
Blessings to your family, and have a wonderful and happy Easter. Thanks, Bill. Same to you. You bet. Rob Bluey's been my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Go to DailySignal.com and also the Coronas, uh, CoronavirusCommission.com. We'll be right back. I'm happy to have back on the show Daryl B. Harrison. He's got a very impressive resume. I could go through most of it, but they would eat up about 20 minutes. So I'll give you the short version. <laughs> he uh, is a veteran of the U.S. Army, where he served uh, six years as a member of the United States Army Intelligence Security Command. And he's a, a fellow of the Black Theology and Leadership Institute of Princeton Theological Seminary in Princeton. He was also the first African-American to be ordained a deacon in the nearly 200-year history of the First Baptist Church of Covington. I could go on and on, but that's plenty for now. Daryl, how are you? Bill Arno, how are you, my good friend? <laughs> good. It's, it's been a while. It has been a while. And uh, I saw you when you came in town, I think it was last winter, with David Wheaton. And I sat and heard you talk, and you were brilliant. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I always knew you were smart, but uh, you, you just hit it out of the park the night I saw you at that event. And uh, and I'm sorry that I don't talk to you more often because I just love having you on the show. Yeah, same here, Bill. And, you know, your comments, your kind uh, remarks, they're very humbling. And if I could just take one second and give a shout out uh, to David Wheaton and his ministry there. And uh, that was my first time coming to Minnesota. It is absolutely beautiful up there. It is. And I do, uh, Laura willing, I hope to come back very, very soon. Yeah, well, David's on the show uh, regularly, and I've known David since he's been four years old. So how about that? Wow. Yeah. Awesome. That's wonderful. Yeah, he's, uh, I consider David uh, one of my best friends, oh, one of my nice. very best friends. Oh, how Absolutely. nice. Oh, I'll make sure I tell David that. Um, let's talk about some of the things I've seen on your blog lately. I, You know, it's interesting because you were mentioning that you did a Google search for, um, and I found this just kind of, I had to chuckle. When you uh, Google the phrase Christian God of love, you found 737 million hits. And when yes. you Googled the phrase Christian God of wrath, only 21 million showed up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's from a blog article that I wrote uh, recently, and I titled it God's Love for the Unlovable. And, um, you know, I was really inspired to write that blog article because what I tried to do with it was to deconstruct a primary misconception that many people have about the love of God, and namely that his love is open-ended and without boundaries. So it was against that uh, thesis that I did that Google search, and I wasn't really surprised by the results. I I was already pretty confident that I would get more hits from the phrase uh, God of love than God of wrath. Uh, So so I I thought that was an interesting sort of uh, starting point uh, for, for building my argument uh, for that blog article that most people's uh, definition of the love of God uh, does not really align with what Scripture uh, teaches. Oh, do say more. I mean, because we all want the assurance that we are loved by God. And, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. But yeah. We are, so, we are so fallen I, beings. Indeed. And that, that's really the premise, that we're fallen beings. That's the premise where I begin the article and t- sort of make my argument uh, for why I titled it uh, God's Love for the Unvo- Unlovable. So I point out in the article, uh, for example, in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, where the Apostle Paul is speaking about God's love for us, Paul describes us as sinners and ungodly. Okay, so you'll read those two adjectives 
in Romans 5, verses 6 and 8. And normally when we talk about God's love for us, Bill, we try to pretty ourselves up by saying things like nobody's perfect. Well, the reason nobody's perfect is because everybody's a sinner. But we don't like to refer to ourselves as sinners, uh, but that's what we are. Uh, And uh, to sort of uh, elaborate on that, I say in the article that the love of God, immeasurable though it is, cannot be understood to any real degree apart from an awareness of how inherently unlovable we are, and that it is our sinfulness that puts God's unmerited love into proper perspective and context. So we've all heard the phrase before, right, that the reason the gospel is called the good news is because of what the bad news is. You really can't appreciate that the gospel is good news unless you know what the bad news is. Well, the same thing is the case with with respect to God's love. We really can't come to really comprehend as as incomprehensible as the love of God is. We really can't begin to comprehend or understand it to any real degree until we know and understand and accept that God loved us while we were yet enemies of his. And Daryl, I, I, I love where you're going right now with this, but even talk about how the word love has been uh, watered down and and uh, reconfigured, and we even yeah. talk about God's love, and we have to understand what God's love is. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big stickler uh, as an apologist, and, and we're all apologists. Every believer is an apologist and should be able to give a defense for the hope that is in him or her. And one of the aspects of being an apologist is to be able to define terms. Uh, And love, the word love is one of those terms that demands definition and context, because every person on this planet will argue that, yeah, as as human beings, and especially right now within the the, the confines of the uh, COVID-19 quarantine restrictions that mostly everyone is living under, to one extent or another. So you're seeing a lot of uh, commercials on television. You're seeing a lot of stuff on social media that encourages one another, well, this is a time for us to be really loving one another. Well, what do you mean when you say uh, when you say that? When you use the word love and loving, there's got to be some definition and some context to that. And the word love is one of those words where you will ask 10 people, well, what do you mean? What is love to you? You'll get 10 different definitions. Um, And and when it comes to uh, the biblical definition and the biblical construct of love, we must abide by what Scripture says that is. So love, for most people, is an emotional feeling. Uh, uh, It it sort of uh, uh, sways and flows depending on how we feel about one another. But when you look at God's love and how love is an innate attribute of his nature, of his character, There's little in the Bible at all, if anything at all, that tells us about how God, that God's love is is, is predicated on how he feels. Now, God definitely is a God who has emotions. But when you look at a verse like the one we all know, right, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, all right? So God's love is a love that is defined as, as something that is a matter of the will not based on how we feel or our emotions, because our emotions as fallen human beings change within milliseconds. Uh, but God's love is not like that. And, and, and for us as Christians, we're called to model and mimic and mirror God's nature and God's character. And that demands that our love towards one another be such that it is a matter of the will, 
and that we care for others despite how we may feel about them. Mm, so good. So good, uh, Daryl. So when we think about God's love, we also understand, and I think uh, you cited in your article, Dr. Uh, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, about the Lord doesn't necessarily promise to remove our difficulties and trials and problems or tribulations. And right. That, that's part of his love. Exactly right. So it's, it's interesting. You know, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, Bill, is Ecclesiastes 7.14, and I'm going to read from the New American Standard translation on that. Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider that the Lord has made the one as well as the other. Mm-hmm. That, that verse has held me fast for years in my own personal life. But you get in situations where, for instance, right now, where the entire world is impacted with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, and one of the default questions a lot of people may ask, even maybe some Christians are asking, where, where is God? Where is God in all of this? Uh, and, and so, so a, that's a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of God, that God is a God who exists only to bestow preferential treatment or preferential blessings upon us when, it, when, when biblically speaking, it is also an attribute of God to allow adversity into our lives. Uh, you take a verse such as Philippians 129, where the Apostle Paul says uh, that it is, is not only God's will that you believe in Christ, but also that you suffer for his sake. Okay, mm-hmm. so what we have to do is accept the fact that God's love, a dimension of God's love, is also Him allowing adversity into our lives, and that adversity, the per- one of the many purposes of that, is to drive us to Him, to trust in Him as our all-sufficient God, in whom alone we can de- depend on and rely on without equivocation, without qualification, and that grows our faith in Him. So I was thinking earlier this morning, uh, you know, imagine your life with no adversity, with no adversity. Look at your life where it is right now. Imagine your life with no adversity whatsoever. What kind of testimony would that be? What kind of witness would that kind of life be to someone who doesn't know Christ? be no witness at all. Yeah. It'd be hard to relate, wouldn't it, <laughs> to yeah, anybody? Absolutely. Yeah. It'd be hard to relate to, to anyone, and it would, it would also be hard to, uh, to, to again, to, to even uh, uh, argue with someone, not in the argumentative sense, but as an apologetic, uh, to argue with someone that, who doesn't know Christ about why they should believe in Christ, because it is Christ himself, right, who set the example for us for how to suffer. It says in Hebrews that Christ learned obedience through the things he suffered. Mm-hmm. So if Christ himself, if the Son of God suffered, why would we expect that, that, that God would treat us any differently? Daryl, I, I agree completely. I mean, I often say to myself, uh, when Jesus was on earth, the authorities wanted to kill him. Uh, his friends were confused by him. His family thought he was nuts. He was homeless, and he was, uh, lived a sinless life, and his end of his life didn't, didn't go very good. Right. Exactly right. So when you look at it again, here we are in the midst of COVID-19, the coronavirus. Um, I don't know of anyone within my immediate circle of, uh, of friends, associates, relatives who hasn't been impacted by this. Um, but here's where the, the, the beauty of, and this is going to sound somewhat conflicting, but I don't mean it in that way of all, at all. But the beauty of the coronavirus <clears throat> 
the beauty of any adversity, to be honest with you, is to reorient our heart towards God, mm. because to the in the, in the uh, to the degree that that God has allowed in His sovereignty, that God has allowed the coronavirus to to uh, be prolonged to the uh, to, to the extent that it has so far. One of the objectives that God has is to strip us of any reliance that we might have had on anyone or anything other than him, other than him. Now, if that is an outcome in your own personal spiritual walk with the Lord, then this entire coronavirus incident is worth it. If that brings you closer to God, if that brings you to a deeper dependence and reliance on him, how can we complain at all about how inconvenienced we are or may be by this coronavirus uh, pandemic? Yeah. We can't. Yeah. Daryl, I hate the suffering that's going on right now, but I promise in the next three to five years, there's going to be testimonies that are going to blow our minds. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. But mm-hmm. here's the challenge for us right now as Christians, okay? Here's the challenge for us right now. In the midst of the trial, okay, in the midst of the adversity, and whether it's COVID-19, whether it's the death of a loved one, uh, and there have been several deaths as a, that have been associated with this, with this uh, virus, but in the midst of the trial, it's easy for us to talk about, uh, you know, how God is going to get through this. And I know God is sovereign and I know God is in control. But see, the challenge for the Christian is how will we be changed after this is over? Mm-hmm. See, once this is over, will I still be the Christian who can hold on to the lessons learned, the lessons that God taught me in the midst of this COVID-19, or am I going to fall back and do like the Israelites did in uh, Deuteronomy 8, where God warned them, if you forget that it was me who brought you out of this wilderness, if you forget me, here's what's going to happen. But if you remember me, if you keep this trial in its proper context, here are the blessings that I'm going to bestow upon you. But if you forget me, here are the curses that are going to be uh, going to be fall uh, going to befall you. So what we have as Christians have to be as careful about, if not more so, is not so much that we keep a focus on God as uh, you know during this crisis, but see after this is over, that's where the real test is going to come. Mm-hmm. Daryl, let me take a little break. Daryl Harrison is my uh, guest. His website is justthinking.me, justthinking.me. After a brief uh, pause, we'll be right back with Daryl. All right, we are back with Daryl B. Harrison. And Daryl, i got to do some updating on your bio. You're you're at uh, Grace to You now, aren't you? That's right. I am uh, Dean of Social Media at Grace to You. My wife, Melissa, and I have been here in Southern California for about 14 months now. So we relocated here from Atlanta in January of 19 so that I could come to serve the Lord at Grace to You, along with uh, uh, John MacArthur, Phil Johnson, Jay Flowers, and all the other good folks uh, who are on staff there. That's a pretty nice lineup, isn't it? 
not a bad lineup. I tell you, I'm uh, I'm 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 definitely at the bottom of that rung of, of, of that ladder. I'm, I am the low person on uh, that totem pole. You're top on the list uh, here at Faith Radio. So thank you. Thank you know, you, uh, your uh, Melissa wrote a great uh, article that you published, um, and she learned some great lessons uh, through affliction. Do you are you yeah, up to that, speed on that? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely up to speed on that one because <laughs> I was. Uh, I was right alongside her during that time. It was last summer, I think it was, where um, uh, Melissa came down with a condition uh, that is medically uh, called a torsioned ovary. Ouch. And that is where one of the ovaries gets literally gets twisted. So the ovary was dying within her. And it, I don't have the adjective to describe how much pain yeah. she was in. Uh, so we spent about 13 hours in the ER here at a local hospital here in uh, Valencia, uh, by God's grace, they were able to, through a lot of trial and error, able to diagnose what that was. There was some emergency surgery conducted, and Melissa, the Lord just moved Melissa's uh, her heart to uh, to pen that blog article. Uh, and Melissa is not a blogger; she's not a uh, a writer per se. She's a great communicator, but she's uh, not necessarily a writer. But she kind of went outside the box to uh, to write this piece and. Uh, I said, hey, I'll publish this on the on the blog and, yeah. and get it out there. But she titled it Lessons Learned in God's School of Affliction. Uh, so if folks want to go to my website at justthinking.me, uh, they can take a look at Melissa's article and uh, and read that. You know, I'd like to go through a couple of the points, if you don't mind. Sure, let's Because I it. think it's so applicable to some of the suffering that people are going through today. It's not uh, the same that uh, Melissa went through, but there are certainly people who are suffering a great deal right now, and these are great lessons. So um, lesson number one is the Lord is good, and everything he does is good. What a powerful lesson. That's a powerful lesson. And Melissa cites Psalm 119, verses, uh, verse 68. Psalm 119, 68, where it says of God, you are good and you do good. Uh, matter of fact, uh, within the ER, as Melissa was literally, she was so buckled over in pain that she was down on the floor, oh. uh, just, uh, just rising in pain. She kept reciting that phrase to God, Lord, you are good and you do good. Lord, oh. you are good and you do good. So when she talks about God's amazing grace as it relates to the truth of Psalm 119, verse 68, she knows it means that from experience. You know, Daryl, just the fact that that would be her default response in the midst of her pain just speaks beautifully to what's in her heart. Exactly right. And see, I think that's where God wants to bring each of us. Um, You know, you alluded to earlier, Bill, that there's a lot of suffering going on right now in the midst of the Mm COVID-19 pandemic. We hear every day of hundreds of people around the world, uh, if not thousands, who have died in some way uh, or another uh, related to this this virus. Uh, But that's what God wants to do in each of our hearts through whatever adversity he allows us to go through. We have to, and this is what this is what Melissa realized. She realized that this adversity was from God. Mm. This was no accident. This was sent by God from God for His purpose. It was deliberately ordained that she undergo this. But this, the attitude that she had, is the same mindset that God wants to develop in all of us. Yeah. Let me read the lesson number two, and then I'll have you respond to it. Melissa said, "No matter how much pain the Lord providentially ordained for me to endure." It is in no way compared to what Christ willingly and innocently endured on the cross for my sins against him. Yes, the pain was terrible, but it wasn't from being slapped, punched, beaten, and nailed to a cross as my Savior was. Almost choked me up reading it. 
Yeah, I, I can understand why uh, exactly. So, you know, so Melissa cites in point number two, Matthew twenty six sixty seven, Matthew 27, verses 28 through 31. Uh, Melissa and I both, we have a habit of rereading, and not just around Easter, not just around Resurrection Sunday. This, this could be uh, any day in July or October, but we have a habit of just reading the uh, crucifixion account. Uh, in the Gospels, because we think it's healthy mm-hmm. uh, spiritually to remind ourselves of what Christ went through for mm-hmm. sinners like us, for ungodly wretches like we are. Uh, so she cites what Christ went through, even in the midst of the absolutely torrid physical pain that she underwent through that torsion ovary experience, that, that even that as buckled over as she was, as as many tears as she shed, as many times no drugs that they administered worked to relieve the pain. None of that compared to what Christ willingly, as Melissa says here, willingly and innocently endured on the cross for our sins against him. Mm -hmm. Another lesson is how fearfully and wonderfully made, or how wonderfully God has made us in his image. Right, so this is lesson three that Melissa talks about. She cites Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and then Psalm 139, verse 14. Uh, Again, this is uh, Melissa has uh, uh, a—she's very science-minded, things that have to do with science, biology, chemistry, medicine, things like that. So she cites Psalm 139, 14, which reads, I will give thanks to you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. So Melissa, one of the experiences that she came out of there with, one of the lessons was just how miraculous the human body is, how how, how incredibly intricately uh, made God has made each one of us, that the human body can endure some of the most uh, painful experiences, and, 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 and yet we survive it. Uh, so uh, uh, this is one of the things that she was able to reflect back on to where someone can do, in, in her case, do without an ovary, or someone can have their appendix removed, or someone can have a kidney removed. Mm-hmm. And But God has so designed the human body that we can, uh, uh, some of our organs can suffer or even die within us, as was her case. And he has made us such that we're able to survive and continue to serve him in this life. Is she home right now? I should put her on. You should put her on. She is home right now. If you yeah. want me to grab her, real yeah, quick, we, absolutely. You should, I you, will. Should, you should yell for her because uh, it'd be sure. really fun to say hi. You're uh, awesome. Let me grab her real yeah. quick. This is, this is great. She's yeah. across the uh, hall. Yeah, well, don't be gone too long. Because <laughs> I love the way it ended. She said, uh, "Keep the faith." God is trustworthy. God is faithful. He will sustain you. It looks like Melissa might be indisposed. At ah, the it's too bad. You had me all excited. I'm sorry, Bill. That's yeah, okay. That's okay. At the yeah, that's all right. I just love the way she ended. Keep the faith. God is trustworthy. Uh, God is faithful. He will sustain you. I, these are powerful words that we need. We need to hear uh, today. Yeah, especially today. I mean, we need to hear these words in real time. And see, this what Melissa's um, uh, last point here sort of alludes to what I was saying earlier. What are the lessons we are we going to be able to hold on to these lessons that we're learning that God's teaching us in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic? Will we hold on to them after, by his grace, this pandemic is over? That is the question that we must focus on right now. And, and I think uh, one way in one way, and Melissa writing this blog article, she was reminding herself 
of these things. She wasn't so much uh, writing the blog article to preach or to teach to 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 other people, which which I think I think uh, that the article has had that effect and that impact. But we must always be preaching the gospel to ourselves first. And I think this article uh, that Melissa wrote is a testament, is a reminder to her personally as well to not forget these lessons, not forget these lessons when things are going well, when things are smoothed out, when I'm not in pain, when I'm not crying, when I'm laughing, when I'm happy, when I'm joyous. We still need to remember these lessons even in those times. Mm-hmm. Daryl, i got to have you back because uh, we talked uh, a little bit about Melissa's uh blog, which I loved, and you can head over to justthinking.me to read the whole thing, and I would just love to have you back on again soon, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Listen, Bill, anytime. Good. Anytime, brother. Good. Th- thanks so much. Uh, Daryl B. Harrison friend. has been my guest, and justthinking.me is his uh, website. You can go read his blogs and his podcasts and enjoy his uh, fantastic thinking and writing. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back with Hour 2. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.